Get stoked for the new single, Heard It All Before, from Vancouver rock and rollers Ben Sinister, out March 16th on Cordova Bay Records. Visit cordovabay.com to pre-save on Spotify Plus and see more of our upcoming releases, including local blues keyboardist David Vest's self-titled LP, out April 6th. Cordova Bay Records, celebrating 20 years of local music. Listeners, welcome back to CFUV 101.9 FM's music podcast, All Access. This here podcast, just for those of you who have not tuned in yet, your loss is about Canadian music, musicians, and all the strange angles that we don't always get to look at in regards to music. For example, sound healing, which lo and behold is what we will be discussing today. My name is Elise. I am the producer slash hoster of All Access. Today's episode is called Music as Medicine. I'm here with my fellow musical friend, Curtis. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Elise. Good to be here today. Great to have you. Curtis, tell us, who are you? I am a musician in Victoria here. I play in a band called Death Cart, and I also volunteer here as well at CFUV 101.9 FM. And how's that going for you? It's going all right. Not bad. So you have a pretty um, good understanding of what it's like to be on the scene in the world of music, hey? I get to talk to a lot of people and I get to meet a lot of people just being around going to shows and stuff like that. So it's all right. It's all right. And you're excited to learn about music as medicine? Oh, 100%. So the lovely human who introduced me to the idea of sound healing and vocal tones is a Victoria-born hip-hop artist named Celeste Huvener. In the music world, she goes by Lady La Rosa. Celeste and I had initially booked an interview to talk about the origin of her alias, which we did, but while we were catching up, before we got down to the meat of things, Celeste touched on this new concept to me vocal tones yeah so the first la rosa album i did i did like um beats made out of my vocal samples like um beatboxing and then like vocal toning doing um like different tones and then bringing them down for like my bass notes or making synths out of that of that So yeah, just kind of threw that together. Super, super lo-fi. Um, not really, uh, not really well produced or. I mean, not really like high fidelity sounds or anything like that. But as I was like using the vocal tones um, to do that, kind of energetically going wherever with the vibrations and seeing which pitches and which uh, yeah, which pitches kind of lined up with with which area of my body, um, which was also kind of how I was um, utilizing like a free like a free flow of rap and the words and that sort of stuff can um kind of bring you to different areas and explore like different areas of where you're at but i mean really like it can just be like you know kicking some breeze with your homies and not really be all that deep or anything but you know you can <laughs> you can kind of go deeper if you want whoa 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 vocal tones vibrations that align with your body what's going on here I know that certain music evokes certain emotion. Yeah, I might throw on Coldplay on a rainy day, but I never considered the actual healing properties of sound. This was news to me. It never occurred to me that sound vibrations can affect the resting state of your mind, body, and soul. Like meditation, or like therapy, I guess. Did you? Did you know about this? Had no, not a clue. I mean, oh. yeah, same deal. Like, I, if, it, if I was feeling a certain way, I'd put on maybe... A song that would fit that mood, but not the actual tones itself. Yeah, I feel like um, most people kind of can feel an emotion 
through a song, but to actively be thinking like I'm singing in this key because this key will make somebody feel more at ease. I don't know. Like I, I just know about that. So that's pretty interesting. I guess I was semi-aware, but not actively. But Celeste considered how certain tones would affect her listeners before even creating her music and in other practices in her life. I've been like a practitioner working one-on-one with people for like acupuncture and uh, massage, that sort of thing. Um, I've used vocal toning and tones to do that in my healing sessions and using the the vibes to, to do that sort of thing. You're telling me that you use your voice when you're doing massage therapy. I mostly do acupuncture now, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like, because you can, you, let's say uh, somebody has, like, a disease of a certain area of their body, and you can, um, you can access that with a vibration within yourself, and then that transfers to the person, so you, and then, um, like, the, the acupuncture points are all just, like, connecting the smooth flow of energy and stuff, you can be, like, activating and using that energy to, like, to do that and I mean if you've been martial arts uh, I've studied martial arts and that sort of thing and you can use voice to direct and specific like direct your energy to certain spots but you know if I told you any more about that I'd have to kill you so naturally I kept prodding because I clearly have a death wish vocal tones I ask tell me more Vocal tones, well, I mean, it's quite simple, really. You can, um, I mean, there's the, like, the tones on a scale, that sort of thing. Like, it can all can all translate into, into your body. So you have, like, high tones, high frequency, like, and then you have, like, the low, like, you know, so you can, um, like, different, you know, like, you, you can feel how songs can affect you emotionally and that sort of thing. Um, I don't necessarily think like everyone has the math to it. Um, and it's a lot about, you know, kind of like that raw, raw force, emotion, creativity within the human. But, but yeah, so, um, like a lot of the higher pitches with, um, different tonations. So like, let's say, um, uh, like for instance, I use the tone, um, ah, as an awesome for the, uh, like hypochondrium the like hypochondria region like the stomach area so like your like solar plexus so you can think of like ah and just like be doing this and uh like accessing that area through like that tone but um there's different belief systems around it i guess in different like structures like um different cultures over different like time periods have developed their own um Town, like tones and sounds and, and that sort of thing but in Chinese medicine a lot of what like um, draws me to that is like looking at the different um, the different aspects of the universe and seeing like the different elements so like um, the color green for instance relates to um, like wood and wood uh, the organs that correspond to that are liver and gallbladder and liver and gallbladder all have the different like um, emotions. Um, anger would be that uh, emotion for for wood. If wood was out of out of excess, out of in, in excess, you think of like your liver, and it has um, you know if you it processes all your toxins, and so if you have an excess of toxins, and that sort of thing, your classic is thing is to like get really angry, like angry drunk man sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, um, and so then there's there's sounds associated with that um, shouting, um, and so like we essentially develop or um, can nurture into these different elements by what um, like intonations and everything we use, and it's all good to use all of them as long as they're balanced. Seeing what's coming through, and I find I find it effective. Sometimes uh, it's hard for people to connect with, although not necessarily, you know, if, ever anyone, if just anyone comes in for a treatment, I wouldn't necessarily just, like, start dropping dropping some tones on them. But um, over time, you know, I can definitely, you know, get there. So my interest was piqued. 
In the short time Celeste touched on the idea of vocal tones, I wanted to know more all about sound healing. Was it a common practice? Where did it all begin? So I got one of my trusty interviewers to do a little research for me. My name is Phoenix Bain. I'm a volunteer at CFUV, and I've been volunteering since 2010, and I have been involved in various projects, but found myself particularly interested in um, this one because I am passionate about music, and I've never really thought about music as medicine before, but there's a lot to know. So I'll start with traditional Chinese medicine. Um, from my research, this isn't actually where this started out in terms of using music as medicine or that idea, but it definitely uh, draws from the tradition pretty strongly, and it goes really far back into uh, Chinese history. So I'll just start with the idea of Tao, and that's a Chinese word signifying the way or the path, and it's kind of a loose holistic science. And so within the traditional Chinese philosophy and religion, it's the intuitive knowing of life that cannot be grasped wholeheartedly as a concept, but is known nonetheless through actual living experience of one's everyday being. So it's the most fundamental idea in most Chinese philosophical schools. However, in Taoism specifically, um, it denotes the principle as the source, pattern, substance of everything that exists. So when we move from Taoism, we can kind of see that they emphasize various themes of these different... I'm going to use the word publications, but that's a really new term for what they actually were. Um, and so these books, we'll use that modern-day term, I Ching, the Tao Te Ching, and Zhuangzi. And they emphasize kind of various themes of those places. So I'm going to focus on the I Ching specifically, and hopefully this has kind of moved in a really... Uh, narrative way for you folks and you're still following me with all these words but I promise you we'll get to music in a moment so what the I Ching um, the I Ching is actually came out around 136 BC so it's a really old um, in Chinese history and within it um, it's influenced um like a lot of different things from Taoism and legalism and yin and cosmology, but it's also influenced the Wuxing physical theory. And the Wuxing physical theory is where the really exciting stuff comes and where we kind of get this uh, idea of music as therapy. So the Wuxing is also known as the five elements or the five phases. And it's a conceptual scheme that many traditional Chinese fields use to explain a wide array of phenomena um, such as even the interaction between internal organs. So there's five phases, and they're wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. And this system of five phases was used for describing interactions or relationships between phenomena. So in part of this, we have the Zhang Fu, and these are organs um, that are stipulated by tra traditional Chinese medicine. And they constitute the centerpiece of the general concept of how the human body works within traditional Chinese medicine. So the term Zhang refers to the organs considered to be yin in nature, which include the heart, liver, spleen, young kidneys, while Fu refers to the yang organs, so small intestine, large intestine, gallbladder, urinary bladder, um, stomach. And so each Zhang is paired with a Fu, and each pair is assigned to one of the Wu Shuang. And just to reiterate, that's wood, fire, earth metal, and water. And so how this works is that wood is related to liver, and they have some mental qualities that come with that as well. So through these, you can um, develop methods of healing as well as um, kind of a practice that maintains um health in these organs through um, connecting with these five phases and these elemental energies, wood, fire, earth, metal, water, with these organs. So you can begin by practice make, practicing sounds. And these sounds are connected with um, the idea of chi. 
Uh, it's uh, pronounced Chiba, it's actually spelled Q-I in English, is a Chinese word that um, variously translated to mean vital energy or essence of life or living force. So in Chinese medicine, it's the flow of qi along energy channels within the body that's crucial to a person's health and vitality. Um, so that's just kind of a general um, definition of what qi is. And so it may be stagnant, which means it's non-moving, deficient, so ab- like maybe absent, or excessive, so abundant in a giving organ. So what these um, sounds that I'm about to explain to you can kind of, um, and through the tones of the sound and the voice, and the you can indicate to whether there's a deficiency or an excess in the organs related to the different sounds that connect with the five elements um, that connect to an organ. And this is how we can find out through sound um, how our health and wellness is doing. Okay, so I'm going to try and reiterate some of this, mostly for myself, but maybe a little for you listeners. Okay, so sound healing dates back to the beginning of Taoism, which Phoenix tells us is the ancient study of the intuitive knowing of life, which cannot be taught, only lived. So the scripture that she focuses on is called the I Ching, which my roommate has. Apparently she dabbles in I Ching. Uh, It dates back to 136 BC, and the theory in this text that spawned the idea of sound healing is called the Wu Xing physical theory. Within this theory, there are five elements, wood, fire, earth, metal, water. The Taoists believe each of these elements were connected to certain organs in the body, or as they referred to them as Zhang Fu. Zhang referring to some organs, and Fu referring to some other organs. The I Ching also refers to something called Qi, which translates to vital energy or energy channels, which can be stagnant, deficient, or abundant, all of which can be affected through the use of sound. I hope I passed. Um, so I was uh, reading the work of Jean Voigt, and he's a uh, um, he created. He works. He writes for a journal called the Qi Journal, and he um, kind of gives some descriptions to these sounds so that you can make them yourself. So for the liver, you would like to um, make a steady tone in the middle high range of your voice. So you want to make shoo sound, and that's with puckered lips as if blowing a kiss. And then as if you are clearing your throat, you want to, um, again, with a steady tone in the middle kind of high range of your voice for your heart, you would like to make a sound that says ha. And with more exaggerated puckered lips, this is for the spleen and stomach. So heart's connected to fire and um, earth connected to kind of the spleen stomach. And for spleen stomach, you want to say, and this is with more exaggerated lips than the shoe noise that for the liver that I mentioned earlier. And then for your lungs, uh, they are related to metal, and you want to make uh, a noise like like the per- first part of the word czar. For that one, um, you can extend your lower jaw and keep your tongue flat on the bottom of your mouth. Then with breath in mind, direct the buzzing sound to sink down deep into the chest. And for the kidneys, um, this one's related to water, and you want to make an explosive sneeze-like noise. I'm going to see if I can do this one. I couldn't quite get it right when I was practicing. Um, <laughs> but it, what, the idea of the sound is it literally squeezes your lower internal back muscles close to your kidneys, and you want to go shui. And Shwe. there we go. That's it. <laughs> Um, this sound is meant when you're actually doing these. So I just want to mention that these are actually meant to be um, kind of practicing sounds. So these sounds should actually physically vibrate the targeted organ like an inner massage. So if there's difficulty in doing so or experiencing this, um, you can um, you see how 
they can identify issues with uh, through chi and see how through the changes in tone. So you're supposed to pronounce them with a steady tone. And if you see kind of fluctuations in one way or another, you can, um, you can understand when there's issues with the body. And so you can go through these preliminary exercises to kind of um, figure out where there's any issues with your body. Um, and for the silent one, you, sh- you can make it out loud for now so you c- I can tell you I can tell you what it sounds like. But when you're actually doing these six healing sounds, it's actually meant to be done uh, silently. So it's it, um, it's supposed to um, called the, it's called this what John Voight refers to as a triple burner. So it's the functioning aspects of the five organs in the torso. So it's the idea that you will kind of activate your whole whole torso. So for the silent sound, you're going to hold your breath and kind of shake and vibrate your torso. And the sound is um, she, but you want to make the S and H louder. But the idea would be just to create vibrations in the middle of your torso in these exercises um, to draw uh, kind of attention to all five of the organs. And I just wanted to mention, I've said the term tone a few times, and I just wanted to um, give it a little bit of a definition. So it's it's very technically a vocal sound, so sound made by vibrating muscular bands in your larynx and your throat. Um, but it refers to the quality or character of sound. So it's uh, the particular quality um, of sounding in the voice um, and expressing meaning. There is other definitions of it, but in terms of what we're talking about, that's what you would um, um, refer to it as. And so, so for example, like a person under attack by uh, a deficiency, say an internal deficiency, so due to lack of energy, the voice will get soft over time, and you can kind of identify with different sounds where, um, and through changes in tone um, where these issues, um, issues might be in the body. So repeated, uh, repeated sighing, for example, is often a sign of liver cheese stagnation. So when you're making that um, sound that I mentioned for your liver, your shoo um, noise, um, you're, you're seeing a little bit of stagnation in that sound, which could affect your liver chi. And I'm not a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, so I would love if folks would look this up a bit more to really get their exercises down every day, down every day, and maybe talk to your traditional Chinese medical practitioner so that uh, you don't accidentally diagnose yourself with something that you don't have. <laughs> I'm wondering what an alcoholic's shoe sound would sound like. <laughs> I'm not sure, um, but that's a really good uh, question. Shoo. I know that. <laughs> Well, I know that I wanted to say, um, I really mentioned that when I was doing my research, one of the really interesting things about this, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of gathering from a bunch of different sources here, so I'm, 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 because I don't have practice as a practitioner of Chinese medicine, I'm not really sure how a full diagnosis would go. One, because there's more ways of diagnosing, so not only do they use sound, but they use smell, and they use other senses in the body to diagnose. So, for example... Um, liver issues may not be just diagnosed with smell. They have other ways of utilizing the senses to figure out um, what might be up with your body. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. They, they draw from sound, smell, sight, your senses to mm-hmm. diagnose. Yeah. And they and, use um, tones to kind of massage your innards. That's, that's what I'm gathering from this. It is, and that's actually, um, I'll get to the vibroacoustic chair in a moment and some of the therapies that are developed out of this because that's kind of the idea that they took. I should say, sorry, because I wanted to um, clarify one thing I said earlier. I missed a part, and I don't want to um, give wrong information, so I'm just going to say this. So as I said, I did say mention that repeated signs are often a sign of liver cheese stagnation. So the reason why um, I said the reason was wrong earlier but the reason why is actually is an attempt by the body to release pent-up emotion while expanding the chest muscles that tighten due to stagnation. So you hear this repeated sighing through um, liver chi stagnation. So, for instance, with an excess 
um, condition will tend to have like a louder, stronger voice or stronger tone, while a soft one is um, with is related to deficiency patterns in the G. And so you can see this through the tones that they're making um, and the changes in tone and breath while they're doing these exercises. And there's also another um, area of research um, uh, with didgeridoo uh, yeah. therapy. Um, and so it's, it's, um, it's a didgeridoo is an ancient musical instrument and a power tool, and they believe that it can help lift an individual's vibration back to a less chaotic and natural rhythm. Um, and it's and really uh, harkens back to an ancient um, practice because it's a very old instrument. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it makes sense because some people can't play the didgeridoo. They just don't have the vibration in them. So it's got to be a pretty um, amazing feeling to be able to create that vibration that that instrument takes. Yeah. And then there's also... Um, the um, seven chakras. So they're um, energy vortices or spirals that exist within the body. And so um, uh, singing bowls are born with a tone that give off a vibrato when played, and they're tuned to the seven chakras. So the theory behind the sound therapy is that the vibrational frequencies penetrate the body and tune the chakra of which was matched at a cellular level. So they kind of each bowl has a note, whether, you know, the musical notes, so A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and uh, they're related to a location in the body, um, and the theory behind it is when these vibrational frequencies penetrate the body, they can, um, um, energy is created from these singing bowls, and the feedback is um, vibrated into the body, and uh, it's something that's visceral and can actually... Um, be therapeutic for those area, the location of the bodies in which they speak to. I always wondered what those bowls were used for. Yeah, well, they're tuned to notes. So, um, for example, the note D is related to the location of the lower abdomen. So um, when they play these different bowls, it creates vibrations. What I've been finding, though, is vibrations seem to be the core of every type of sound therapy like related to this um, when it comes to making sounds just visceral sounds whether it be vibrations or with your voice um, they seem to all be related to vibrations which brings me to vibroacoustic therapy which is why which is where your chairs come in well you'll just have to listen to the second half of this podcast I'm really excited about that Let's rave. We throw that high grade silver shade. Don't care before we get paid. Dangle lips, swivel hips, bang a hips, top picks. Get with this. Bang with the dangle lips, straight through the apocalypse. Bendy with all the tricks, burning it like I'm Stevie Nicks. Like, yeah, gonna get down with this, like a fist, kiss, kiss. Keep deep down with the bass, bouncing down to my waist. Gonna taste no space, just a case of the heebie jeebies. Squeeze me like a lemon till the juice run down the mic, till the juice run down the mic tonight. Running down the mic. Five grams in a lemon, playing games with psilocybin. You know that's me, I may be robbing. You can be the bad of the clan in a pack. A sack. You know I'm Halo with that mattress flow. I'll get you down like a dog. Ray me five soul IT. Mystical creature I be. And I'm going down like a sunset. And I'm moving around like a big butt, big butt. Big Timberland shaker, earthquaker. Slow mo from the hydro. In coriander fields I halo. Twirl with some braided brandy, LS dive into a shanty. Colors cooling, shadow dancing, neon cords lambenting. Five grams in the lemon. We throw that high grade silver shade. Don't care before we get paid. Dangle lips, swivel hips, bang a hip, top picks, get with this. Let's rave. We throw that high grade silver shade. Don't care before we get paid. Dangle lip, swivel hip, bang a hip, top pick, give with this. In the lamp, lamp,
Check out the latest album Slow Wave by The Velveteens on Fierce Panda Canada. Featuring surf pop jams like All Night Baby, Don't You Feel Better, and Midnight Surf. Find it on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen. Head to fiercepanda.ca for more info. Alright, so, there's a little Lady La Rosa for your ears. Uh, thanks to Phoenix for that extremely informative segment on sound healing. We will now commence part two of the podcast. So we got Celeste to share how she implements sound healing into her own music. We got Phoenix to inform us on the history of sound healing. But in order to get the most well-rounded approach on the concept of music as medicine, who better to talk to than a music therapist? Kim Brame has been using the healing properties of sound for over 25 years and currently works at the Victoria Conservative of Music. The changes that she sees in some of her clients is pretty phenomenal. So for all you doubters out there, keep listening. This interview with Kim was done by one of the CFUV Speaks volunteers, Jody Alawat. Here they are. We're in conversation with music therapist Kim Brame as a part of our episode series on music as medicine. Kim, thank you for joining us for this special uh, segment and a very warm welcome. Thank you, it's my pleasure to be here. You have more than 25 years of work experience in the field of music around the world, where music plays a very, very crucial role in healing, in repairing, in curing health-related issues, basically music as an alternative medicine. What is the concept of music therapy and how does it actually work? Could you elaborate on that? All right. First of all, um, the word curing isn't one that we typically use, but we, can, we certainly support a wide variety of needs um, and different types, uh, using different types of interventions. Um, music therapy, to me, is using music to support a person's goals, current goals, and uh, there are many different ways to use it. It's, music's such a wonderful tool because there are so many um, ways to use it. It's a very malleable tool. Um, you know, it could be... Uh, what happens with music therapy, to begin with, is you, you um, think about the person. It's all about the person first, not the music. And, and then it's our job to find out what they're personal goals are and create a treatment plan and um, use, find out what the best interventions would be for that particular person at that time and also assess as we go along of course to see if that needs to change. If their goals are changing, for example if they're improving, obviously we can adjust the treatment plan accordingly to best support them for the future. Right. So you have, to your credit, uh, a bachelor's degree in music therapy, and you also have the accreditation from the Canadian Association for Music Therapy. Let's talk about um, you know, more of the, uh, the, the therapy and the treatment of music uh, and the process that it involves. What are the different le levels of processes in music as therapy, if you could just elaborate on the kind of you know, treatment that you take on and uh, what are the different techniques and skills that you uh, incorporate in it? Right. I think the best way to do that, um, I work with a, a wide variety of different clients who have a wide variety of different needs. And um, sometimes um, one intervention can support a variety of goals and other times it's necessary to have completely different methods of treatment. So uh, for example, um, I'm mus music, um, uh, music therapy uh, clients in my own experience, um, they may come to me with physical um, uh, disabilities and wanting to improve, let's say, for example, their gait, their balance, uh, or uh, perhaps it's fine motor skills, or perhaps, you know, it's uh, someone recovering from a stroke. Uh, it perhaps 
Um, I'm working on speech. Uh, music's very uh, useful tool for helping bring back um, the speech through singing. And um, the, the goal may be uh, to support emotional needs, maybe, uh, and is very commonly social need. Um, you know, it's, it's also sometimes a spiritual need, uh, communication, the whole person. So, um, for example, uh, I have worked with um, uh, clients who have severe uh, visual impairment. And at the Conservatory of Music, which, which is where I um, work full time, the Victoria Conservatory of Music, um, we have a very special room, a multi-sensory studio. And in the studio, we have a uh, very special chair. Uh, it's a vibroacoustic chair, which, is, which has many speakers built into the chair. It also, um, you can adjust the chair sit back, forward, whatever is most comfortable for the client. And this particular client with the visual impairment um, found it very relaxing um, to hear extremely loud rock music and jazz music, something with a very, very strong beat, basic beat. And this calmed him down. It gave him the feedback perhaps that he wasn't getting from vision. And so that worked very, very well for him. In, you know, in another situation, in, in the same room in the multi-sensory studio, um, a, a different client who is a young woman on the autism spectrum, she um, was uh, non-verbal, uh, was physically able. Her physical stance every time she came to her half-hour session, her hands were very tightly ringing together. Her facial muscles were tight. Everything about her body language was extremely tight. And uh, I used completely different music when she sat in the chair. And I also uh, sat with her and breathe, and you know, encouraged her to breathe. And she also had vision too, so she could see my um, modeling of uncurling hands every once in a while to encourage her to do the same. And um, she, she came to see me for um, at least a year, once a week, for half an hour. And what I witnessed was, was pretty amazing. Uh, um, after 20 minutes, pretty much each time, her hands were uncurled, her face was totally relaxed, completely different from when she walked in, and her whole body was relaxed. She looked like <laughs> a different person. different was your experience with different uh, age groups? You've worked with children, you've worked with uh, young adults, you've worked with seniors. 
So how was your experience, Kim, with the seniors and uh, how did they respond to this kind of uh, therapy, music as medicine? Hmm. I worked um, with many different uh, uh, levels of ability in uh, seniors' uh, homes. Um, some very, very uh, special moments that I've witnessed and it's an absolute privilege to do the job that I do um, in special care unit. Um, very small groups are often the most successful because most of the people have um, late, middle to late stage dementia and uh, are starting, starting to not remember um, people in their family and you know, people's names and that kind of thing. Um, but when you sing or play the right music, it's wonderful to witness when they just they join in. They just join in. They remember the words. It's just in there, and we can bring it out. But uh, being there in person rather than putting on a CD, etc., this seems to help so much more in my experience. Um, one of the reasons would be that you can, if I play a song and then I delay, you know, the phrase ending of a song that's very popular to that person, well, well known, they will often fill it in, more likely to join in when you do that. You know, little subtleties, the, the, even the visual nuances of, you, uh, you know, using our bodies to encourage or engage a person who's typically not easily engaged. Um, it's wonderful to witness. It, I've seen that, seen that to, witnessed that to be very successful many, many, many times. Sometimes it's the whole song, which is even more incredible. So, so Kim, what would be simple steps uh, that you would like to suggest for anyone who would want to do it themselves, you know? that is experience music therapy for general goodness of health? Right. Um, definitely contact the Victoria Conservatory of Music, downtown Victoria. And uh, you can check us out on the website, www.vcm.bc.ca. And you'll find the music therapy department. Well, thank you, Kim, for joining us and sharing your valuable insights uh, with us. Uh, and I'm sure they will benefit many, many people who have uh, you know, tuned in today to hear the program. We wish you many more successes in the future. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cool. What a great interview. My knowledge on music is slowly but surely expanding. Who knew there was more out there than Spotify? Just kidding. That was a 2018 joke. But amongst all the incredible insight Kim bestowed upon us, what really stood out to me were these vibroacoustic chairs. Like, what the heck is that? A sound healing chair? Once again, we have answers. Expert researcher extraordinaire Phoenix is here to fill us in. It was created by a Norwegian therapist and inventor, Olaf Skill, in the 1980s. And... It, it's based on the principle that life is vibration. So matter, including the human body, vibrates all the time at various frequencies, and sound and music also vary in frequency, and so therefore when the various frequencies of sound or music are converted to the vibration, which is introduced to the body, it can be utilized to bring the body into a state of healthy resonance. So the idea is, um, from more than from this research from Olav Skills, Norway, uh, we know that the lower frequencies, so 40 hertz to 86 hertz, can be utilized with success to treat conditions ranging from um, circulatory problems to asthma. And um, and lower, even lower frequencies, so as low as 30 hertz, have um, have been shown um, impact on patients with Parkinson's disease. So basically, um, the idea is when uh, with vibroacoustic therapy is that these frequencies are produced um, usually between like 40 and 86 hertz. And they are put through little speakers or transducers or whatever you have. It kind of depends. There's a couple different um, manufacturers of these types of things, and they use different terms for the speaker that it goes through. And, and then it's attached to either um, a chair or a mat 
or, and I found some really fun ones, um, a lounge, a pillow, and it's even a tubby ball pool. So like a ball pit that provides this like vibroacoustic experience. So you can like sit in a ball pit while someone um, plays these frequencies and you can um, be part of this vibroacoustic therapy. Wait, 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 wait. Like a ball pit, like at a playroom. Like, yes, yes. It's called the tubby ball pool. It's one of the manufacturers' um, tools, and honestly, they like it, the range of these um, things is quite vast. Um, and for some things, like the vibroacoustic chair, the speakers are built into the chair. So, um, for example, the um, this one woman I was looking at, she she plays a harp, and the frequencies of the harp run through the speaker and into the chair. And so what she did in the video with clients is she would play these frequencies that were um, related to the pains or ailments they were having, and then she'd um, play them into the chair while they were lying on it. And I went to, um, I was in Southern California last year, and I went to the Integratron, which is this, like, incredible experience. And I sat through um, uh sound therapy with the chakras and sound bowls and it was incredible like it was a really incredible experience and it was something it it was something that I never experienced like that on a physical level and so I think that it can't hurt you and if it is producing positive results then that's great so even though you can't find the scientific paper you personally have had a positive experience with sound healing yeah, it was incredible. I was, um, I mean, the Integratron as a building is built, um, it's, a, it's a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into, um, but it was it was an enveloping sound experience with, and I've never actually been a part of sound therapy before, and um, it definitely had an effect physically on my body. Long-term effect, no, but a short-term effect for sure. So I imagine if I consistently visited something like that, it might have a long-term effect on my body. Maybe it wouldn't, but it felt really nice, and I really enjoyed it. So. <laughs> and if all else fails, placebo effect, right? Um, there's actually meetups around the world, like in L.A., London, and Chicago, and over 5,000 people are listed in the Boulder, Colorado-based Sound Healers Association. Here, I'll read you I'll read you something from um, Quartz Media that, I, that really... Um, kind of spoke to me. So according to the article, sound healing adherents say that listening to percussive instruments like gongs, Tibetan singing bowls, and tuning forks produces stress and can place the listener in a meditative state. And as I mentioned, practitioners of this have been practicing this for thousands of years. Egyptians were using this, ancient Egyptians and um, aboriginals from Australia were using sound therapy. Um, again, no academic peer-reviewed journals, but there is a Sound Healers Association based out of Boulder, California, Colorado, sorry, and more than 5,000 people are listed in the member directory. So, I mean, there's thousands of people that um, benefit from sound healing and or practice sound healing, and there's sound baths, and as I said, the Integratron, and various forms of different healing. There's didgeridoo therapy and vibroacoustic therapy and places you can go. Um, and there's also um, gongs whose makers claim to have specifically turned them to orbital properties of the planets. And they're um, apparently connected to sound healing. Um, this is definitely something I'm now more interested to talk to sound healing practitioners about because I would like more. And I've had a hard time finding information to really have some um, people tell me how much they loved it. So now we're going to talk to Curtis. Hi, Curtis. Hello. About sound healing and what it's like on the side of a musician working through sound. So I know a lot of people play instruments because it kind of helps them get through things. 
the process and the sound of it to like portray a mood. Have you ever felt like when you're playing or practicing, it's kind of um, healing? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, playing and writing as well that like definitely try and match a mood that I'm feeling. And basically it's just, it's, it's my way of expressing it or, or just getting it out of my system. Um, if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting down and I'm trying to make a song that I'm, you know, depending on how I'm feeling, you know, I try and match it as close as I can. Sometimes I'll have, I'll even have it in my head and try and like see, see how I can make it work. Um, yeah. Essentially. Totally. Yeah. So the writing process, Hey, that's where it starts. Yeah. Like I usually, most of the time I write when I'm at my lowest. And yeah. so, except for me, that's when, that's where I express myself. That's where I get, um, that's where I get it out essentially. So that's a lot of the stuff comes out pretty dark. <laughs> so some people get a little concerned, but like, that's just, this is how, it, that's just how I get it out. Like that's how I express myself. So yeah. Totally. And you're not alone. Yeah, no, not at all. Do you ever worry about how um, writing therapeutically would translate into your music when maybe you don't want to portray a dark mood in your in your music? Yeah, it's not that I'm worried about not portraying a dark mood because that's already it's already there in the tone of the music and it's there, it's there in the lyrics. It's more just I'm I'm more sort of concerned and I know it's a rather silly thing about of what what people are going to think of it and what people are going to like react to it in a certain way when it's just me expressing how i feel mm -hmm. to some extent totally pure judgment yeah i yeah. guess and i know it's sort of a silly thing but i mean people do worry about it and that's sort of something yeah. that i um i i find myself sort of wondering about like oh if i write this like what is someone going to say but then that yeah. sort of censors my ability to, to express myself in certain ways so yeah I, I think that's part of being an artist right yeah i'd say so yeah. it's like bearing your soul kind of yeah having an impression on people is like it's intimidating it's scary and there's always like a fear of judgment going on behind it all yeah you never know like how people are gonna think but a lot of, like half the time you know people you, you don't necessarily get usually you just get oh you know that was really nice or that was really good you don't necessarily get all the time people being like well what was this and like why why did you do this um, mostly with it's mostly with family members honestly totally <laughs> yeah. yeah working through family relationships yeah yeah because it's always sort of something like yeah i'm definitely doing this for me but oh yeah i have people in my life who are gonna actually like really really look into it yeah like especially like ones closest to you so yeah exactly the people closest to you are the people potentially most likely listening to your music and potentially most likely those are the people you're talking about in your music yeah exactly it's no different in the writing world <laughs> yeah yeah no, when I... you're writing stories that's a big fear who do you base your characters off of mom and dad yeah and then there's reading it and they go hey wait a minute <laughs> yeah sounds like me exactly yeah do you remember writing do you remember a writing experience that really helped you get through something well yeah it's interesting because i know um well, this one track that I wrote, I had the music for it first and I had like, I, I was kind of writing, trying to pine for lyrics, but I couldn't, nothing could really come to mind. And then I had this sort of event happen in my life and it sort of just wrote itself. It was like, I had a, um, I knew someone who had attempted suicide and that was like quite, it was both really weird, terrible experience to know someone that went through that. And it just sort of kind of came from that um like seeing how that sort of wrote itself out it kind of just yeah and it it sort of um it sort of wrote itself after that and it just sort of fit wow i can see that for sure yeah so in in do you feel like you were writing it out it i don't know how i was writing it honestly it just sort of came to and it just yeah. sort of it it came really naturally and it's like this is okay well this happened this is what it's going to be about yeah so that it yeah like i said it just sort of wrote itself yeah um and you'll have I, I feel like i have moments like that where it's like you'll have something happen or you'll have an experience and you're like okay this is what it's going to be and like it's not going to be anything else 
because yeah. that's what it's like that's what you need to write about this is what you need to get out so that's sort of how i go about it most of the time that's and insane in that, yeah and in that in that scenario it's like wow this is something that i kind of need to really write about yeah does it work as a coping mechanism yeah i'd say it does mm-hmm. yeah i um because without that, I like, I mean, I obviously like I have friends to talk to or I have like family to talk to. But primarily for me, it's writing it mm-hmm. and just sort of sorting it out that way. Yeah. It's interesting to think that good lyrics are just like the bane of a, an intense reaction to something. Yeah. Have you ever had something on the opposite spectrum where you felt like um, something really good has happened and it's inspired music? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'd say, I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, there are times where like, um, I'd say, oh no, maybe I was having a great day and I came home and I wrote a track and I was like, oh yeah, and this is fantastic or whatever. And then I'd, I'd find random lyrics because before I would, um, it was always music first and then lyrics secondary. But then yeah. lately, I guess it's, um, I've sort of been focusing a bit more on lyrics, but, um, yeah, I'd say, um, I would, yeah, I'd have the occasional moment where I would be like, yeah, something like light would happen or something, but it's, yeah, I mostly usually write when I'm at my lowest. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. I find that really interesting. I find that really relatable though. Yeah. I've, I had a friend who, uh, we, well, when we were, I think we were 15 and we were just hanging out in their bedroom. When we were always saying, yeah, well, when you're feeling happy, you don't want to write. You want to go outside and you want to go play. But when you're down, what do you want to do? You want to write about it or you want to, like, internalize it. So exactly. Th- so that's how I – and that's, I've always thought about that or took that to heart whenever I um, – yeah, whenever, well, whenever dealing with sort of emotion. You know, when you're feeling good, what do you want to do? You want to go outside and you want to hang out with people and you want to, you know, go have a drink. Uh, but if you're feeling down, you know, reflect on it and, like – you know, and then maybe for some people that's writing it out. In an attempt to uninternalize your thoughts, pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Is there anything else you want to share about sound, healing, or anyone else in your life that you have felt an influence from or like in any other aspect? Yeah, I do have one more thing that I would like to say. I had a very wise friend tell me that to write all the songs whether you think you'll regret them, whether you think you'll never even play them, but write all of them because it'll, you know, it'll help you out for sure. It's, yeah, That's golden advice. Yeah, write them all. Yeah, <laughs> write it all. You got to catch them all. Exactly. <laughs> I agree with that 100%. I think um, there's a lot of content um, in my writing experiences that I, I don't think it matters at the time, but I can always pull back from it. Uh, pull from it later like pull content from it and piece it together because only you know your experiences yeah exactly you know and that's what's valuable and that's what people connect to on a universal level actually is the true like hyper specificity the true uh personal detail the attention to detail it's when people hear that like vulnerable honesty then they connect with you. It's not the praise to the public like, oh, uh, live, laugh, love. You yeah. know, it's like, I lived this experience. Hear me and <laughs> hear me roar. Yeah. And then, and then uh, you know, speaks wonders to people. All right. Thanks, Curtis. Thank you very much, Elise. That was great. This is a fun little episode, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Learned a ton. I know. I'm being so educated. For this, I was nothing. I was just a philanderer. <laughs> Thanks to Celeste Hoovener uh, for the great interview about vocal tones and many other things, which you will hear later on in other episodes. Um, Kim Brame for the interview with Jody. Jody for being the interviewer. Um, Curtis Lockhart for being my interviewee slash co-host. No problem. We have Kevin Hammond my editor who does an amazing job and works so hard to make everything sound so good thank you thank you and of course phoenix for being the number one researcher who 
I'm quite sure taught everyone who listens to this something new. All Access is made possible with the generous support of Cordova Bay Records and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Over and out. See you next week when we talk about the origin of the alias. What does that even mean? You don't know until you listen. All Access is supported by Cordova Bay Entertainment Group. Supporting local music since 1998. With artists like Acres of Lions, David Gogo, Sam Weber, David West, Steph McPherson, and more. Cordova Bay Entertainment Group. Celebrating 20 years of local music. Learn more at cordovabay.com. <laughs>